Hey, Trinity, I'm so glad you're with us today and happy 4th of July weekend. I pray you had a safe and enjoyable weekend. And if you're a guest today joining us for the first time, I want you to know that we never take you being here for granted. Each week, new people are joining us from literally all over our country. And I want you to do me a favor so you can download that new church app for your phone so you can fill out the new online connection card. We wanna send you a free gift to say thanks for being our guest this weekend. We don't do anything weird with your information and we're not even gonna show up at your house. I mean, I promise. But if you enjoy today's service, we'll send you some info on how you can take your next step and get more involved. In fact, last month, Amanda and I hosted a virtual growth track for people taking their next step. And we had over a dozen new people joining us each week even families from California and right here in the East Valley that have never been to a physical service, but are now connecting with us online at Trinity. It is simply amazing what God continues to do. And also, the best way that we can care for you and your family during this time is for you to take a moment and let us know if you have any prayer needs. Fill out that con online connection card and our staff and our elders will be praying specifically for you by name this week and we'll even follow up with you. And we want you to know that you're not alone and we count it a privilege to pray with and for you. And before we dive into the message this morning, I want to remind you that we are delaying our regathering for physical services here at Trinity. We're going to continue to meet online for the next several weeks. And, and we don't have a specific date for when we plan to meet again in person, but we'll update you with future dates soon. Again, your safety is and will continue to be our number one priority. Now today, I'm excited to introduce you to a new friend of mine that I met last year at a church conference. I had the pleasure of meeting this pastor who is planting a new church over in Buckeye. I'm telling you, I was so impressed with his vision and his heart for people that I actually tried to hire him here to come work for us at Trinity. I mean, it's evident that you will, and you'll soon find out, um, that he has a clear calling on his life to start this new church in the West Valley. I want you to know about this new church because some of you have family and friends that live over on that side of town, and I can't encourage you enough to have them check out this new church plan. I know he will talk more about his vision and details of this new church, but Trinity, open up your heart, lean into the word as Pastor Michael Stahl comes and shares his vision today. Hey Trinity, hope you're doing well. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here. Hey, my name is Michael Stahl. Uh, I'm a pastor. I'm on staff at a church out in Goodyear uh, called Desert Springs Community Church. Uh, so the whole reason Desert Springs brought me on staff was to plant a church. So my actual occupation is a church planter. Uh, so what does that mean? It means I'm starting a church from scratch. Uh, it's called Salt Church. Uh, so it's located in a community in, in the West Valley called Waddell. So I know many of you have no idea where that even is. Just kind of start driving toward LA. You'll see it on the right. If you're ever coming that way, I've got a good espresso machine. Would love to have you over. Salt Church, if you have any friends or family in that area, I'm just gonna drop a little bit of a commercial. That's our website, saltchurchaz.com. Uh, if you have anybody you'd like to refer, I'd love to, to chat with them. But uh, I get a wonderful opportunity to be here at Trinity today. Uh, I just want to say this, um, just the, the thankfulness I have for Pastor Jared. Uh, I met him last summer. He spoke at a conference I was at talking about growth track, which I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with. And, and I was impressed by what was going on. I just simply uh, shot him an email, said, hey, Jared, can we chat? 
And he's like, yeah, come out to Trinity, which is like a 45 minute drive for me. And he gave me the whole entire morning where he just sat down, worked out the mission, the vision of Salt Church, just really gave me practical handles on what to do. This is a year and a half before I was even going to plant. Uh, So I could just tell if he's gonna shepherd me in that way, uh, just how lucky you all are to be under his leadership here. Um, If I have any friends ever in the East Valley, I tell them to come here, but I'm excited to be up here today. Uh, We get to talk about the, the, series that you all are doing, Summer at Trinity, talking about Old Testament heroes, almost Bible heroes. If you grew up in church, that's what we would call them. But key figures in the Old Testament, what was their impact? And then how should it then impact us? So today I get an awesome opportunity to talk about a guy named Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah is a book nestled in the Old Testament. Uh, Nehemiah was was a character in the Bible that accomplished an awesome task in 52 days like literally had opportunity to take as long as he wanted, but got an awesome task done in 52 days. So I was trying to compare like who has accomplished big things in our world today? Uh, One of the first people came to my mind was Jeff Bezos, right? Uh, So in 1994, this guy, Jeff Bezos, started Amazon. Uh, This picture was taken in 1999, and for some reason, it's been uh, circulating the internet recently. Five years after he started Amazon, here he is in his office, right? He's got that kind of ghetto spray-painted sign behind him. Uh, That's five years into starting Amazon. You look at Amazon today, at least right before I recorded this, it has a $1.3 trillion market cap. Jeff Bezos, that same guy, is worth $161 billion. But it took him 25 years in order to develop that. Took him 25 years to become the man who all of us husbands come home every single day with brown boxes on our porch having no idea what's in it. That guy did that. Well, Nehemiah accomplished just as much. He did it in 52 days. So that's who we get to talk about this morning. So who is Nehemiah, right? Who is Nehemiah? It's a book of the Bible, but I want to set a little bit of context for you. Typically, if you hear a message on Nehemiah, it's gonna be tied to some giving campaign. Well, I'm not here to do that. I wanna tell you about Nehemiah, the man, and what we can pick up from him. Uh, So I think it's huge that any any part of the Bible, we understand how it fits in what we call like the meta-narrative of scripture. So the meta-narrative of scripture would tell you from Genesis to Revelation, God's accomplishing his purposes. So Nehemiah fits in that purpose. Uh, Nehemiah was written in what's called the post-exilic period. So what does that mean? This is just going to give you helpful hints on if you watch Jeopardy. Uh, So here's some just key dates. In 587 BC, the wall in Jerusalem, the wall of the people of God is completely destroyed, like to the ground. And the Israelites, the people of God, are then taken captive into Babylon and Persia. Right after that happens, in 539 BC, Israel are in captivity. Uh, Cyrus, the king of Persia, issues an edict. He says, look, if you're an Israelite, you can go back to Jerusalem. So in 539, they're freed from captivity. Now you fast forward 94 years later, almost 100 years later, you find Nehemiah. So Nehemiah wasn't there when all this stuff was happening, but yet Nehemiah was there as a descendant of these same people that were taken captive. So Nehemiah is born in Babylon. He grows up 
as a descendant of the Jews, but in Babylonian culture. And he was what you call a cupbearer. Now, a cupbearer is, is an awesome job to have 99.99% of the time. A cupbearer was somebody that the king would hire, and the cupbearer had the opportunity to come in, and, and everything that was given to the king, whether it was food or drink, Nehemiah had opportunity to take that and check to make sure it was poisoned. So that means he could have been poisoned, but most of the time he was simply drinking the best possible wine, the best possible, eating the best possible food. That was Nehemiah's job. How do we know that? In Nehemiah 1.11, it says, now I was a cupbearer to the king. Now, Nehemiah accomplished a lot in 52 days, but I wanna go over what's the pattern? How exactly did he do that? So if you have your outline, you'll notice the first thing it says, Nehemiah's heart was stirred. So the first thing that happened, book of Nehemiah, is his heart was stirred. He still has friends, he still has family that live in Jerusalem. Those friends approach him, and here's what Nehemiah says. Nehemiah 1, uh, starting in verse one. It says, now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I, Nehemiah, was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I was asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. So Nehemiah hears that. He hears that news literally from his brother. And what does scripture says? It says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So Nehemiah's heart was stirred. Nehemiah hears the bad news of the place where, where his family was. He hears that the walls still had not been rebuilt even after 90 to 100 years. And his heart was stirred. His heart was stirred to do something. But what does he do next? Nehemiah prays for provision. So Nehemiah then, his heart stirred, he starts weeping. What's the first thing he does after his heart is stirred? He prays for provision. And you notice a rhythm to Nehemiah's prayer. Nehemiah praises God. He says, God, you've been faithful to my people. But a really important thing that Nehemiah prays, he says like, God, our people have dishonored you. We've disowned you. As a people, we have not been right in your eyes, God. He starts to confess the sins of his people. But not only that, he starts to pray to the Lord that this stirring in his heart, that God would provide for him as he was about to approach, approach the king. Nehemiah 1.11 says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give, give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. So Nehemiah's heart was stirred. He prayed for provision. He went to the Lord and asked him to provide with what he's about to do. Then thirdly, Nehemiah's prayer resulted in action. He didn't just pray a prayer and sit there and wait for God to move. No, he prayed and then it resulted in action. Remember, Nehemiah is a cupbearer. That's a, that's a trusting job that the king would have given a man that he would trust. So Nehemiah had that rapport with the king and Nehemiah finally, his prayer becomes action and he approaches the king. We're gonna read eight verses. It's just a narrative of how he approached the king. 
It says, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, that's a key thing, the king granted my requests. So Nehemiah approaches the king. He asks the king, he's like, hey, my heart's stirred. The action I wanna take is I wanna go back to Jerusalem. He probably never even been there before, but he goes back to Jerusalem and he asks the king simply for permission. And Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem, he travels, he gets to Jerusalem and, and he, it, scripture tells us that in the middle of the night, he walks around these ruined walls of Jerusalem and his heart stirred even more, he weeps even more that the walls of his people had completely been destroyed. In Nehemiah 2.17, he looks at the people and he says, you see the trouble we're in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Nehemiah's prayer resulted in action. But lastly, we see Nehemiah face opposition and we see that Nehemiah stayed focused even in the midst of opposition. So every good story is gonna have a little bit of an antagonist, right? Nehemiah's antagonist were three guys with awesome names. You have Sanballat, the Horonite, uh, Tobiah, the Ammonite, and Geshem, the Arab. Okay, so three, three guys that, that were coming in opposition, not only of Nehemiah, but also his people. And they started to ridicule him. Uh, here's an awesome disc that they had on him. Uh, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up in it, he'll break down their stone wall. Okay, that probably burned Nehemiah. That wall's weak. A fox could stand on it and it might fall. But not only did they ridicule him, they were a physical threat to Nehemiah. Nehemiah caught word that they were gonna come and harm him. Scripture literally tells us that the men that were rebuilding that wall in Jerusalem would have a hammer in one hand and a weapon in the other. There was opposition all around Nehemiah, but he stayed focused at the task at hand because he knew it was God that was calling him to do that work. That wasn't just a great idea by Nehemiah. He had the Lord behind it. And all throughout the book, we see Nehemiah pray one simple prayer. We could find it in Nehemiah 6, 9. He says, for they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Nehemiah simply 
understood what he was there to do. And his prayer was, God, strengthen my hands. So think back. The Israelites have been back in their land for 94 years, no longer in captivity. And not one man in that place could rebuild that wall. Nehemiah came back and he did that in 52 days. What was there for 94 years, Nehemiah rebuilt the wall in 52 days. That's like a borderline miracle. So Nehemiah goes on to do all kinds of awesome stuff, but the main thing is he got that wall rebuilt just because of the stirring that the Lord put on his heart. So what are the lessons that we can take from Nehemiah? I know a lot of us aren't, aren't construction workers, so we're not gonna go build a wall, but, but what do we do when the Lord starts to stir our hearts? The first thing I think is a good idea is we need to listen just as much as you pray. Prayer is an interesting thing. It's, it's one of the spiritual disciplines, but prayer is something that I feel is massively underutilized uh, within the Christian circles. And I think that's because people don't always understand uh, the dynamics of prayer, who they're running to in prayer. But the point I wanna make is no Christian prayer happens apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me show this to you. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, uh, he says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So let me give you an example. So when I was about eight or nine years old, uh, my dad thought it'd be a great idea to buy me my first set of golf clubs. And so my dad wanted to teach me how to golf. My dad loved to golf. I uh, said, Michael, I bought you these clubs. And I grew up in central Phoenix. There was a small nine hole course called Palo Verde Golf Course. And my dad took me to Palo Verde Golf Course, got a bucket of balls from the driving range. He took me out to the driving range and he said, all right, Michael, um, I got this bucket of balls. I want you to stand like 10 feet from me. Here's a notepad, here's a pen. I want you to just simply like take some notes. Uh, watch how dad swings a golf club. And then once you have enough notes, let me know. And then you could come over here and start swinging. No, that'd be like the worst way ever to teach a kid how to play golf. What did my dad show me? He came up right behind me, much like many of you probably have with your own kids. He came up right behind me. He put his hands over mine. His hands went right over mine. He showed me how to grip the club. He showed me that I needed to put my hips back first before I swing. And we just started to take, take strokes of the golf club, right? And the golf ball is just flying down the driving range. And the whole time I'm like nine years old, I have no idea. Like, am I hitting the golf ball? Is my dad hitting the golf ball? Because it's like, we're both doing it. That's what Paul's trying to tell us in Romans. That's what Paul's telling us the role of the Holy Spirit is when you pray. Look, at, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness for we don't know what to pray for. How many times do you feel like that? But the Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit prays with you. So you, as you are praying to God, God is praying for you in your midst. Verse 27 he says, and he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Like, think about that. The Holy Spirit prays for us as we are praying to God. So when we pray, there's no such thing as like, I'm just going to pray. Like, I'm just gonna pray about it. No, every time you pray, the Holy Spirit prays with you. None of your prayers are ever wasted. 
So what does that mean for us when we pray? We don't always know what to pray. We don't know what the Lord's will is for our lives, but scripture tells us that the spirit intercedes for us in that moment. So not only do we need to pray, we need to sit there and listen to the voice of the spirit. Because what God's stirring in your heart, you have to answer that question, is that of God or is that of me? Because a lot of times if it's just of me, it's gonna just destroy and failure. We have to listen just as much as we pray. Second is we have to be people who pursue faithfulness over fruitfulness. So scripture doesn't tell us like how long Nehemiah worked as a cupbearer. He could have had that job for 20, 30 years, just every single day, like, oh, I gotta eat another prime rib tonight. I don't know. We don't know what Nehemiah's role was, like who he was married to, none of that. But we know that his simple faithfulness, when the voice of God called out to him, God allowed that to happen. It's really interesting. If you have your Bible open, you'll notice in Nehemiah 1.1, it says that his heart was stirred in the month of Chislev. Well, what does that mean? Uh, the Jewish calendar Chislev would be like October, November area. So that's when his heart was stirred when he heard about his people. But notice that in verse one of chapter two, it says in the month of Nisan, that's like March. It's not like Nehemiah's heart was stirred and then he ran up to the king, no. He like took time to like quiet himself. He took time to like understand what God was calling him to. He took time to realize that God wanted him to be faithful. He was faithful. So just my own story, like I, I'm 33 years old now. When I was 18, I had a full ride scholarship to Arizona State University. I wanted to be a sportscaster. And the Lord changed my heart the summer right before I was gonna start school. And, and I've felt a calling on my life to literally plant a church since I was 18. It's taken 15 years for the Lord to finally bring me to the point where this church is going to launch. 15 years where like I've wanted to give up multiple times. I've thought like, God, this isn't what you've called me to be. But through it all, the Lord has just put his still small voice in my heart saying, Michael, I want you to be faithful. I want you to continue to walk in faithfulness. I will provide when the time is ready. We need to pursue faithfulness over fruitfulness. So if you're in a spot in your life right now where like the stuff that you're doing every single day doesn't really seem to be panning out, just continue to remain faithful, knowing that God will bear the fruit. Galatians 6, 9 says, and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. I mean, this comes down to like our work where we feel like we, we just sow and sow and sow and sow and we don't ever really reap. It comes down to our prayer lives where there's people that we've been praying for for 10, 15, 20 years. Galatians says like, church, don't grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we don't always know when that is. Like we will reap if we do not give up. Don't give up. Pursue faithfulness over fruitfulness. And then lastly, it's check the posture of your heart. So it's interesting. If you just look of all, all of Nehemiah, Nehemiah sees Jerusalem, his homeland is just an absolute mess. You see Nehemiah just start to mourn over his people, right? He prays to God. He actually goes to Jerusalem, he sees the problem himself, and then he weeps. And all those actions, God finally responded. Like because Nehemiah was willing to repent for the sins of his people, God responded. Because Nehemiah postured his heart rightly before the Lord, the Lord responded and worked through Nehemiah to do a great thing. 
It's interesting, Psalm 51, 17, it says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Now key in on this, a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. It's a broken and contrite heart, not like an arrogant and haughty heart. It's a broken and contrite heart. Check the posture of your heart. Are those things that you want being stirred by the Lord or by you? We have to understand church that it's God that brings restoration through brokenness. It's the Lord that accomplishes his restoration through our own brokenness. In Nehemiah's situation, God accomplished reconciliation of the brokenness of the wall through Nehemiah. God prefers to work through broken vessels. In the gospels, we see someone else weeping for Jerusalem, it's Jesus. In Matthew 23, 27, we find Jesus just simply weeping for his people. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather your children together as the hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Jesus sees his people. He sees the Pharisees just so far from what the truth of Jesus Christ is. He sees his people hurting, broken, dying, and he sits there just weeping for them. Perhaps you're weeping over brokenness in your own life. There's brokenness all around us, if you really think about it. Like we're meeting online right now because of this, this pandemic that's taken over the entire world. It's not just here in Arizona, it's everywhere. I had a friend pass away of this just two weeks ago. There's brokenness, there's racial tension, there's all kinds of stuff going on. And we as Christians might see the brokenness around us, but we have to understand that it's oftentimes, it's God who works reconciliation in the midst of brokenness. Maybe that's you in your own life and your heart is broken. And maybe your heart's been broken for years. Maybe you have unconfessed sin, you have an unrepentant heart. I don't know where the brokenness of your heart is, but you feel the spirit of God knocking on the door of your heart. Understand that you do not need to pretty yourself up before you come to the Lord. It might be brokenness you've tried to hide, brokenness you've never told anyone about. God can use that brokenness to redeem his purposes. Like we see that verse, right? Jesus is sitting there and he's looking at you with compassion, just simply begging you to turn to him in the midst of your own brokenness. Church, we have to understand that God's love is rooted in mercy and grace. So when you're broken and you run to the Father, he doesn't just forgive you and say, hey, good luck. God's love is rooted in mercy and grace. He doesn't just forgive, he is mercy and grace. He does mercy and grace. He gives mercy and grace. So wherever you're at today, if you're sitting in your living room, if you're watching this on your phone next to your pool, I have no idea where you're watching this, but I just pray that you would understand that like if you're broken, you could run to millions of things, but run to the Father, the Lord wants to work through your brokenness. So in this moment, would you just quiet your heart before the Lord? I'm gonna close this in prayer. Uh, you know, maybe if you're somebody, you've been watching these sermons online for a long time and you just felt the Lord telling you, hey, I'm knocking on the door to your heart. Maybe right now is that time.
But church, we have to understand that Nehemiah is not a man that we need to look to and he was able to accomplish a big task. Nehemiah was able to just simply humble his heart before the Lord and allow himself to be a vessel that the Lord used. We have to understand that there is nothing we can do to outrun God's purposes. He wants to use you. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for uh, Trinity Church. Lord, I thank you for just this, what they've been doing during the summer, just taking a look at, at Old Testament characters, God, understanding that you've been faithful from Genesis 1-1, Lord. You've worked through so many different men to accomplish awesome things, but the common quality that each of these men have are, are just, they're people that strive after you. They're people that don't just run into quick decisions. They're, they're people that want to know your will for their lives. And Lord, you worked. God, you worked through brokenness. You worked through patience. You worked through stillness. Uh, Father, I pray this morning as anybody who might be watching this, God, that you're calling them up to yourself, God, that you would just give them boldness to, to pray that prayer, God, to understand that, that Lord, there's nothing better than being able to sit within your mercy and grace. God, we thank you for the example of Nehemiah. We thank you for just the example that, that you sent Christ on the cross for us. And, and Father, we just pray that we can continue to run deeply after you. It's in your beautiful name I pray, amen. Man, what an incredible message. For just a few seconds longer, keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I know the Holy Spirit speaking to some of you right now. And some of you, you know you are far from God. You've been going your own way. You've been keeping God at a distance. But today, in this moment, you know. You know he's speaking to you, and you know you need to give your heart to him. So if that's you, come on, just repeat this prayer right after me. Just put it in your own words. It's not the prayer that saves you. Come on, mean it with all of your heart. Just say this. Say, God, today, I'm sorry for going my own way. I'm sorry for keeping you at a distance. But today, as simply as I know how, I give my life to you. Come on, tell him that right where you are. Say, God, I hold nothing back. Come, live inside of me. Change me. Make me the woman. Make me the man you long for me to be. Now, Holy Spirit, I thank you for every person praying that prayer. Some that are making this prayer for the first time, it's a recommitment prayer for others. Lord, you know right where they are. And we just simply say thanks for saving people today. And I pray now that we'll live with boldness and we'll live with courage, just like Nehemiah, to accomplish the dreams and the plans that you have for each and every one of us. Thanks for what you've done in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And you know, if you just prayed that prayer with me, maybe that's the first time, I mean, take a moment, fill that online connection card out and just check the box. Today I'm giving my life to Jesus. It's the same hassle-free guarantee. We just simply wanna send you an email with very clear next steps of what you can do with your faith with Jesus. I mean, you just made the most important decision you've ever made, and we are so proud of you. And church, before we sign off today, it's time for the offering. I know you're grateful and encouraged just to give back to God. We serve a give first God, so we're gonna be a give first people. And even watching Michael today, I mean, your generosity allows us to support church plants churches maybe that we'll never go to, but because of your faithful giving, we're a part of that. People's lives are gonna be changed because of your generosity. So way to go, keep it up. I'm so proud of you. Online, through the church app now, you're still mailing it in. However you're giving, thank you for being a part of what God's doing here at Trinity. All right, let me pray a blessing over us before we sign off today. And God, I thank you again for every person that's joining us. 
Thank you for what you've done in this hour. Thank you for Pastor Michael and the incredible vision that you've given him for Salt Church. I pray you continue blessing and favor to be upon him, his congregation. And I pray the same blessing and favor to be upon the amazing people of Trinity Church. And I pray that they'll have the best Sunday afternoon they've ever had. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, I love you. I can't wait to see you next weekend. God bless you.